0: For most of the other remaining soldiers that are buried there, they're also unknown, only to their relatives they, are they known. And so I had to think when I saw that, I says, wow, you know, that's not going to be the case anymore. Beginning this year and going forward, there's only going to be the unknown soldiers that, that are there that we have honored as unknown soldiers. Everyone else, if someone takes the time to write a story, we'll know who they are. And it'll be an entirely new experience going to Arlington National Cemetery and then rolling out into cemeteries everywhere else
1: You're listening to the Stories Behind the Stars podcast, and I'm your host, Tatiana Fallon. This podcast is run by the organization Stories Behind the Stars. We have the goal of writing a story for every service American service member killed during World War II. That's over 420,000. We are accomplishing this goal through amazing volunteers, who you will hear in this podcast as they research and write these stories. If you're at all interested in becoming a volunteer and researching and writing these stories, please check us out at storiesbehindthestars.org. Thank you so much for your time, and I hope you enjoy this amazing content that we're finding. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, today we have Don Milne with us. We're going to be doing an update on uh, where Stories Behind the Stars is. We've been in operation for two years now. Um, I guess come this summer, right? Um, and so we just want to let all of our volunteers and all of our supporters know what we're working on and what to look for in the future. So, Don, um, can you tell us some of the things that are happening right now?
0: Well, thank you, Tatiana. The main thing that we're working on right now is our project for Arlington National Cemetery, and we got that started uh, first part of January, and our goal is to get uh, as many names completed by Memorial Day of this year. So at this point, we have about 100 people that are helping write stories, Um, but I would like to see about 300. Um, If you get 300 people doing a project like this, they need to do like on average one per week, and then we can get the names done that we plan to get done with fewer people um, it can still be done, but you've got to have people doing multiple stories per week. And although if some people want to do that, that's awesome. But I, I'm fairly comfortable with people giving up whatever show they were planning to watch on a Friday night and spend that time um, working on a story from one of the those who uh, didn't make it home and is now buried at Arlington. Uh, And and if it turns out to be something that people like doing more than once a week, that's all the better. But uh, I I don't want to scare people off by saying we want you to be writing 30 stories a week (laughs) because we probably have some people that are doing that. But we could use 30 people writing one story a week just as easily.
1: Yeah, for sure. So are these stories going on Fold 3, or are they going to be put on Together Reserve? I know in the past where our Pearl Harbor project, they were put on Together Reserve. Um, How is that being managed?
0: Well, for those of your listeners that aren't familiar with the difference, uh, we use two different platforms where we save the stories. And originally when we started in the summer of 2022, all of our stories were being saved on Fold 3, which is a... uh, sister company of ancestry.com. And then when we started the Pearl Harbor project in the summer of 2021, we decided to partner up with Together We Served because they have a very robust platform and does something very similar to what they do with Fold3 with the added benefit that they already have a agreement with Fold3. So any stories that are saved on Together We Served are automatically saved on Fold3 also. So we did that exclusively for Pearl Harbor because we wanted people to get a chance to try out this more robust platform. It is a little bit more involved, so it takes a bit longer to to learn how to use it. So there's a little bit of a learning curve that you don't have with Fold3. And we did a survey after we completed Pearl Harbor. And those people that have used Together We Serve, they seem to like it and want to keep using it. So for them, I guess it was worth the effort of learning how to do that. But I guess I'm finally getting around to answering your question for the uh, Arlington National Cemetery project. Our volunteers can choose to use the Together We Serve platform uh, or they can choose to use the Fold3 platform. It's up to them. I like to use a comparison of what the difference is. And I think using Fold3 to use a World War II Uh, example is it's kind of like driving a willy jeep you probably can visualize a world war ii jeep with just the open cab and a very simple look and you just get in not a lot of not a lot of dials or anything on the dashboard and anybody that could drive a car could basically drive a jeep so that's kind of like the fold three version if you want to do stories and save them on fold three it's pretty easy to just take the story and just save it right there in the story tab on Fold3. Um, With Together We Serve, I compare that more to a uh, D, I compare that more to a C-47 transport, a SkyTrain. Um, Obviously a airplane can transport stuff a lot farther and, and a lot more than a Jeep can. So if you're you're transporting stories, you can choose to use a Jeep or you can choose to fly the nice plane. And obviously, if you're flying a plane, you just don't get into the plane and and fly it the first time you do it. There's a more complicated dashboard. So that's the case with Together We Serve. Um, One other benefit of Together We Serve versus Fold 3 is all all Fold 3 stories are locked specifically for the contributor so if you write something and if someone else comes up with some more details two or three years from now and wants to uh, add that to the story they have to write another story with together we serve if someone comes up with more information later uh, there's a way to edit an existing story to add more content later so we want these stories to last for decades and so there's a benefit of having more of a wikipedia style content um, but either one works at this point we're just happy to have all our volunteers choose whatever platform they have to uh, add stories uh, that will all be on full three eventually uh, or even right now because anything saved to together we serve gets copied over to full three too
1: Oh, that's great to know. So there's options. So you can start and jump right in and and go with it. So if I'm a new volunteer and I'm interested in joining the project and I contact you, um, is there extra training that I need to go through for Arlington or is it just the same training I could do for like, say, to get trained on how to do a family member
0: we have a number of different training material. It's all free, but they've divided it into uh, different courses. So some of our volunteers that helped with D-Day or with Pearl Harbor, they're familiar with our StarCore Bootcamp from last year. And STAR stands for Storytellers and Research. And it's just a, an online course with videos and attachments and some text for people to review that gives them instructions on how to get ready to write a story. So for 2022, we've got new versions of the material. We have one that's for Together We Serve. We have another one that's for Fold3. So if you want to write stories using Together We Serve, you would go through that version of the bootcamp. And if you want to write Fold3 stories, you would use that version of the bootcamp. We also have a separate training for arlington national cemetery that's super short but there's some unique things you wanted to share about arlington that are specific just to arlington so we share a link to everybody that participates with that and we don't want to overwhelm people but we think people want to be as prepared as possible to write these stories Um, we're pretty confident that for most of these people that are not very well known the story that our volunteers write is gonna be the uh, most read story about that person for decades to come. So we hope that they recognize being as well prepared as they can. So when they get down to writing the story, even though it's not something too involved, we're just writing basic obituaries, they'll feel confident that for the type of stories that we're writing, they'll have down what we need to have and what looks good for someone that's reading these stories at someone's gravesite or at someone's memorial, um, one last training that we make available to people is: some people they have a relative, an uncle, a cousin, um, maybe a grandfather, or someone that served, and so they have a lot of information about that person, and they want to do that story. May not be interested in doing others, but they at least want to do the story of that person. That's very close to them because of the family connection. So, we actually have a training course called Just One Story. And if you plan to just add one story, you can just do that boot camp and it'll show you how you can just do a single story. So, because we've been doing this for a couple of years, uh, we pretty much know what different people are looking for. And we've tried to accommodate them with the uh, different training material that we have. And it's been a team effort. I'm kind of the last person that goes through it so it's set up um, on Podia under my name but a lot of the material that I use is was created by uh, uh, many of our volunteers and you'll see their names in the training material because I give them credit for the help that they provided in making this a a better project than what I could have come up with on my own.
1: Yeah, I think that's one of the things that's so unique about this particular project is just to see the level of uh ownership that a lot of our volunteers have have just stepped up and and taken on and and really been like, you know, a lot of people have said it's like building a a, a tribe or a family or, you know, a really strong bond and many expressed um like a desire to to meet up and and see each other in person someday, <laughs> which would be hard obviously because we're all across the country. But I think that's the interesting thing that I've seen is a lot of people, you know, take their expertise or what they're they're good at and they they, they bring it to the table and share it with everyone. And it's really amazing how we can all benefit from it. And especially I think the, the telling of these stories of these young men and women uh, really benefit from that. So my next question is, um, do you know specifically how many stories you're, you're, you're trying to write before uh, Memorial Day? I mean, there's a, it's, what is that about? You know,
0: that, that's a really out. good question. And you might be a little bit surprised when, when you hear the answer I'm going to give that this is the answer that you're getting. But uh, when we originally uh, decided last year that one of the projects we wanted to do was to do all of the World War II fallen buried at Arlington, we thought all it would take would be we'll just email Arlington National Cemetery and ask for their list of names of people who died during World War II and are buried there. So we did that and we got no response. And then tried again and basically said, "I'm sorry, that information is not available." And uh, I just thought, well, they don't know who I am. I'm, I'm just. Some name, random person that's emailing him. Um, maybe I have to go through better channels. So I tried going through my congressman. I tried going through a couple of senators. Um, one of the senators got a response from uh, Arlington basically saying, nope, we don't have that information. So I thought, well, we're going to be out of luck. So fortunately, a couple of the organizations we work with, Find a Grave and Billion Graves, have their own databases that they've created for Arlington National Cemetery. So I was getting ready to work through them. And then uh, one of our volunteers, Scott Rail, he started uh, pounding the payment, met personally with some people that work there at Arlington National Cemetery. And I guess they realized that we weren't some weird fringe group that wanted to take these names for some purpose that that would be bad. And so we got a list. We actually got an official list from Arlington National Cemetery. But the thing is about the list they gave us was the only information they had was they could tell us people when they died. And so they gave us a list of people who died beginning in 1941 through January of 1946, which is the time frame we were looking for. And so that ended up being like 13,000 names, and it includes people who died during those years, but they didn't serve in World War II. Um, And they include like uh, spouses, children, uh, people who served in World War I, or people who served in the Spanish-American War. So right now, we don't have a total number of how many names you're going to have. We're getting closer. Um, We started off with these 13,000 names and uh, ended up putting out a, request for volunteers to help us to go through this incomplete database and help us take out all the names that weren't World War II related and then fill in some of the information that's on the headstone but wasn't in the Arlington National Cemetery database that we got. So they've been doing that and uh, because it was such a a huge number of names I I took the 13,000 names and I divided them by different sections, so we ended up with 15 different groups, and we've gone through and we've gone through 15 of the 17 sections so far, and we're finding in, in many of the sections that the vast majority of names they gave us were not World War II names. Um, the ones that we've gone through completely already, um, there were 5,000 original names, and of those, only 2,000 are World War II names. Um, We're in the process of another 4,000 names, you're still going through those, excluding those that are not the World War II names. And then uh, we still have about 4,000 we haven't even touched because the last two sections that we are gonna work on are the ones that have the highest uh, number of names that are probably from World War II. So because I have these two dozen people that are helping, we are getting through those and I anticipate by the end of March, we should know the number. Um, I, I have a contact who's uh, pretty well-versed on World War II history. He thinks that the number we're gonna come up with is 7,700, so so that may be the case. Um, it may be less right now, it's looking like it could be less, but um, we don't know yet, but we will know soon. And it's kind of historic in a way that for the first time in history, we'll actually know how many World War II fallen who died during the war were buried at Arlington National Cemetery. So that's something we'll know for sure before Memorial Day. And uh, once we know the names, then part two is to find volunteers to write their stories. Wow,
1: that's a really unique, awesome story. Having known about this the whole process, I've had a lot of time to think about, like, why doesn't the National Cemetery of the biggest country in the world not have these databases filled out? And then, and for a while, I was kind of a little bit frustrated by it. But then it dawned on me, like, you know, we we live in this age of technology, but it's mostly run by, you know, corporations who are pushing the data, you know, and so if there's not like a, a monetary, like a way to make money off of the data, then it's hard to get corporations to put in the resources and the human capital to come up with and organize this data, you know, it's a, it's a lot of work, um, and so it's, it's just, it was kind of an eye-opening for me to realize like without an organization like stories behind the stars where people are willing to give their time, which is so precious and so worth, you know, millions of dollars, then this wouldn't be able to be a reality just because there just isn't those resources for people to put the time and effort into making something like this happen. And, and the second epiphany that I kind of had was realizing, you know, um, I was talking to, rona simmons in our our last podcast and she talked about how to to they started preparing to bring the men home from world war ii in in 43 because logistically it was such a nightmare to get you know seven million people or i guess there was more than that who fought all around the world right and now we got to get them back home and um and so then I just in all that chaos of getting people home, burying people and keeping records of all that. I mean, that's that's just seems like you know, utter chaos to, to orchestrate all that. And, you know, and so I can I can have a lot more sympathy as to see why they might not have this complete list. It's because they don't necessarily have the resources and without volunteers being willing to do this, um, it just wouldn't happen. And I think that's also really cool to think about because like as a volunteer you're really honestly being part of something historic. I mean, I've been to Arlington, I think four times. And every time I go, I like look at all the names and then you see, Oh, civil war, or like, Oh, this guy was like, you know, he must've fought in the Spanish American war or like you see all these names and you always curious, like what's their story? Like how'd they get here? Like, who are they? And, you know, and you, you can't find anything. And so to me, the most exciting part is like, you know, being able to take my kids to Arlington and go anywhere and find a World War II grave and maybe see their picture, you know, and see what they, how they, how they died and why they're there, you know? Um, so I think it's super inspiring to, to be a volunteer working on this really historic project.
0: There, there's a little bit of a parallel that we can say between how our, our volunteers work and, how America was during World War II. Um, We had a pretty small army before World War II. And by the end of the war, we had 16 million people that were in service and only 2% of our army were professional. The other 98% were volunteers. So we're kind of like that um, with Stories Behind the Stars is we're basically doing this because we have volunteers that are stepping forward and, and giving their time for an important project that if we tried to have it be done by professionals, it probably couldn't be done because they couldn't get enough manpower to, to get it done and have the to get it done. I was speaking to his state level and he told me, you know, we could probably do that on a state level, but it would take 18 months just to get approval, to get all the, the requests and sign-offs and everything to get done. And then we'd have to have a budget of more than a hundred thousand dollars. So, and that, that is something that we can do, um, just because of the love and patriotism of our volunteers and seeing a need that this should be done and they have the time and the skills to take care of this. So why not do that? We, we visit, um, cemeteries, Memorial Day, Veterans Day, we go out and take flowers and we, we take wreaths and flags and just show respect for these fallen. And those are all great things to do, but it's just as much time to sit down at your computer and write a story about one of these people so that when people do go visit their graves, they'll, they'll have a, a permanent remembrance.
1: Yeah. And, and I also think it's, it's, it's just a, a cool thing to be giving to your grandchildren or your children who live in the digital world, um, and the digital age, because, um, that to them connects, they it has so much more, you know, connectivity. So like to, for them to be looking back on an event like World War II and, you know, to them, it's so far in the history but then to bring it to life by bringing it into the digital age, I think is, is very, um, very rewarding to see that you can hand that down to your, your grandchildren and your, you know, and that's another thing that are like, you know, a lot of people like criticize or not a lot of people, but people have criticized us as for not creating our own database or not, um, like doing this, like, you know, for-profit or different things like that. And I think that's the genius of like having two databases that we're putting this information in. You know, we're putting it into Fold Three, which is the largest, you know, space in in the genealogical world, and you know, Together We Serve, which is, is got connections with the, with the military. It's not going away. Um, and so it's really making this frontline in center and really part this information really available to so many more people by not just having like some random, you know, small little website on the internet you know (laughs) like um so it's like it's what if you take the time to do it it's going to be remembered and people are going to be able to have access to it so do you have plans then once the project is done to to help people like just the average person i mean because how many people visit arlington every year like how are you going to help people see that this is available
0: there's about four million people that visit arlington national cemetery every year So it's the most visited cemetery in the United States, I'm pretty sure. And so I think what's going to happen is this is going to be the type of project that we should be able to get some good media attention. And it's just such an organic thing. We think that as years go by, it's not just going to be the World War II names that people can do research for, but people will do names of people who survived the war. They're buried there, but they're from World War II or people that served in Other phases of the military, Um, we just, we have to focus on something. So we're doing the 400,000 World War II fallen names. But Fold 3 will take military stories from not just the United States, but anywhere. So we think that it's just the kind of thing that uh, we may have done it first, but we're not going to ones that have done it last. More people will be doing something like this. Um, It was... When I was getting ready to uh, prepare for the Arlington project, I watched some uh, documentaries about uh, Arlington National Cemetery. One of them, uh, I don't remember the name of it right now, you can find it on YouTube. And it was only like six or seven years old. And there's obviously going to talk about the Tomb of the Unknown Soldiers. But there's also a part in there where the, the narrator is saying, for most of the other remaining soldiers that are buried there, they're also unknown, only to their relatives. Do they, are they known? And so I had to think when I saw that. I says, "Wow, you know that's not going to be the case anymore. Beginning this year and going forward, there's only going to be the unknown soldiers that that are there that we have honored as unknown soldiers. Everyone else, if someone takes the time to write a story." we'll know who they are and it'll be an entirely new experience going to Arlington National Cemetery and then rolling out into cemeteries everywhere else that young people will expect when they go up to gravesite that they can pull out their phone and read the story and probably see a picture of the person that was there. And and they'll think, boy, that was weird back in the day when you could go to cemeteries and there wasn't some digital connection. It's just something that people are going to expect going forward and thanks to the volunteers that are helping us out it's going to be a reality
1: yeah it's exciting so um you said right now we have about a hundred but we would prefer to have 300 so how um how could people help spread the word and get us more volunteers if if i'm if I'm listening to this podcast and I and I'm encouraged by it, like how could I, if I'm already a volunteer or um, how could I help spread the word?
0: I would like share the podcast. That's an easy thing to do. If you're already volunteering, you've written some stories. I'd probably share some of the stories, maybe some of your favorite stories if you you've written with a, a few of your friends and family and show them what you've done and say, you know, this wasn't that hard. I just basically wrote um, I just basically wrote an obituary for this person and the information is basically all on the internet that we need to find. And the training material we have shows you where to find the material. So uh, people shouldn't expect that their first story is going to be like super perfect. But every first story that is written, we have another team of volunteers. We have volunteers all over the place that review your story to give you some tips on you could have done this or don't forget to do that. So that gives you a little bit of confidence and it, it's not rocket science to write an obituary. Uh, most of us at one point or other have to write one or two, just the nature of all of us have family members that are older and you got to write an obituary. And that's basically what we're doing here is writing obituaries for these people.
1: Yeah. I like that suggestion, you know, share the podcast, share what you've already written. And um, also, you know, like if you're new to this, it's we know, we'll, we'll, we've got lots of training material. We'll walk you through the process. Um, so what's the plan moving forward with Arlington as far as the, the app goes, or as far as like, if people were to go to Arlington this summer You know, let's say we have volunteers that are close to that area and want to check it out. Is it possible for them to to interact or read the stories right now?
0: Uh, Yes, it's not as smooth as we hope it'll be at some point in the future. Uh, our, Our partner, Fold3, another sister company called Find a Grave, has a smartphone app. And they've integrated Fold3 into the app. So if you go into Arlington and you're standing next to the name and you're standing next to the grave of someone who died during World War II, you could type their name in the Find a Grave app, and then you'll you'll see it pop up. Then you scroll down a little bit, it'll have a link to the full three page. And once you're there, you'll be able to see the story. So that's, that's where we're at right now. It's kind of like the 1.0 version of the smartphone app. Eventually, um, Find a Grave is hoping to have a geocode feature so that if you're just walking close to a grave and you have your Find a Grave app open, it'll give you suggestions like, oh, here's a name here you should look at or here's a name here you should look at. So we're we're hoping that that can be available pretty soon because that is technology that Find a Grave already has. It's just not integrated yet on their app. And maybe that's something they can have come out by this summer. Um, Our other partner, Together We Serve, also has a smartphone app. So people can use either one. Um, Right now, because our volunteers are writing stories either on Together We Serve or Fold3, there's a possibility that some of the stories right now are not going to be on the Together We Serve app. Because if something is saved to Fold3, right now it doesn't automatically get transferred over to Together We Serve. It only works... In the other direction but eventually we'll probably find a way to be able to move them from fold three to together we serve also it's just that's not something we have right now there's there's lots of things we'd like to see and with enough time and enough resources we think that'll happen um, what we've always wanted to be able to do and again this can happen with enough help and maybe somebody listening to this podcast says oh I know how to do that it, it's super possible to go up to a a stone, scan the name off of that with your camera, and there's applications that are able to change that into letters and numbers. And then with that information, we can link that to the story. So there should become a time when you don't have to type in the person's name. You just take your phone, open up the app, hold it up to the person's name on the headstone, and bam, their story pops up. That's I think where we'll be eventually. Um, probably not by this summer though. But there are early versions of the app that do make those stories accessible in cemeteries right now.
1: That is exciting to know about. So that as you're doing research, you can start sharing that with people that there is a way for them to access this. And and if they have plans to visit anything this summer or you know, as, as COVID restrictions lift and things get maybe hopefully a little back to normal, then, you know, we can, they can, you can share your research with your friends and family. They can go and they can find it, at, uh, you know, wherever they're buried if, 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 if their names are done. So that's really exciting. Um, I guess one last question I have for you is, um, what, what do you say? I mean, maybe, maybe we don't have to have, ask this question, but I feel like there's a lot of people out there who saying, this isn't possible, it's kind of crazy. I have seen a few things here and there and like Facebook saying that's impossible for you to get this many names done and it's not gonna happen um, what do you say to those people who are kind of like the naysayers or
0: um, well it's you know it, it is an ambitious project uh, if you had to have enough money to pay people for the value of their time to do that, then I'd have to agree that. Yeah, probably couldn't be done because who's gonna come up with that millions and millions of dollars for that to happen. But in a country of 330 million people, I think we can find two or 3000 people that are willing to give up one evening or one afternoon a week and write a story about someone who uh, served and died during World War II. And if we have that level of participation, um, that's all we need so that by September of 2025, when it's the 80th anniversary of the end of World War II, we'll have completed all these stories. Uh, That's kind of the national goal. I think it's gonna happen quicker in some of our states, especially those that uh, didn't have as many fallen. So for example, I believe the number of World War II fallen from the state of Nevada was like 600. So if you had one person writing one story a day, in less than two years, one person could do the stories of everybody from Nevada. So some of the smaller states, it it might just take like a dozen people doing one story a week to get them all done. Obviously our larger states like uh, New York, Pennsylvania, Ohio, those are the larger states during the war. That's gonna take a bigger effort. Um, One of the things that I think is going to help is Uh, An extra thing we're doing for the uh, names we're researching in Arlington is we're asking our riders to determine the home address at the time of these World War II fallen from the state they were from. And so we're going to have a list at the end of this project divided by congressional district. And we'll be able to go to every congressman and every congressman in, in the United States and present them with a list of these are World War II fallen from your congressional district buried at Arlington National Cemetery but this is just a drop in the bucket there are hundreds thousands more people from your district probably at least hundreds that deserve to be remembered can you help get the ball rolling at a state level so we can get this done so i think it's it's the kind of project that it just naturally will attract people that want to get this taken care of. It's nothing permanent. It's just we're, we're kind of like building a house. We build the house and we walk away because the house is done and and the house is there for everyone. So I think that's kind of the plan after Arlington is roll out to the state level and and get um, our states one by one to get, get all of the names done. Um, we already have Utah. And uh, I think uh, either Arizona or Alabama or maybe the next state, we've got some some good ground work already there. But eventually, with enough participation, I think we're going to get uh, leadership in all 50 states and get this done.
1: So what do you think about, like, um, people who, you know, why would we be focusing on spending a lot of effort and energy into doing this project when, like, you know, Ukraine and Russia are at war, and gas prices are through the roof, and inflation is everywhere. And like it just kind of feels like, um, like you know, COVID is hit and the, everything's falling apart. Like, why were you asking people to like give up their time in, in this crazy kind of day and age that we live?
0: Well, I think uh, 1940 to 1945 were even crazier times than what we're living in right now. And I think it gives us some perspective on what conditions are like right now compared to what they were then and what a 19, 20-year-old was willing to do um, back in that day because they believed in the future of their country. And I think creating these stories and making them available for others to see uh, helps us to have a hope for the future. Um, I, I think a lot of people maybe during the dark days of early 1942, we're thinking, man, what's the world gonna be like? Is there even gonna be a world? And they just did what they had to do and put forth their effort and knew that some of them weren't going to be coming home, but they uh, made possible the the peace that we've been spoiled for the last 80 years, pretty much, that it's lasted this long. And I think that there's some value in that. And to some extent, as far as gas prices go it doesn't cost any gas to turn your computer on in fact maybe this is the way you deal with finding activities that use less gas is do something at home that you can save the money on and, and work on a project like this it's meaningful and gives people purpose
1: i actually really like that you said that because today i filled up my gas and we drive a van and it was not cheap and came home and I was just like, oh my gosh, like, this is how we're going to do this. And then while you were talking, I actually remembered grandma sharing with me how they had gas rations and you couldn't even get gas unless you had a ration card that let you get gas. And, um, and how she said they were pretty lucky because her dad owned a trucking business or he was in the shipping business. And so they got a little extra gas than what everyone else got, which allowed them to sometimes once so take a trip to the country and go fishing, you know? So, <laughs> you know, here I am like sweating like, you know, how am I going to plan and, and do things with, you know, paying this extra money, but at least I could buy gas. Like, I think you're right. Like it really does put things into perspective to help us really see that, you know, life is hard and life is stressful, but people endure and people, you know, people get through this. And it it, it is refreshing to see that even though it, you know obviously all the endings were sad that we're writing about um it, that that gives us perspective is like life is worth living and fighting for and the people endure and things get better you know so uh i think that's a a really um refreshing way to look at why this project could be super important right now um, because sometimes like if you listen to the news about what's happening in ukraine and all these other places you really feel hopeless like there's nothing you can do about it but there are things you can do to make um, like, um, make our country strong and make your life better and have more fulfillment in it. And um, this is one of them. So. Absolutely. Um, is there anything else you wanna let our
0: listeners know? Yeah, I, I just wanna let the listeners know that I'm so grateful for all the many volunteers that doing so many different things that make this project a success. This Arlington project with thirteen thousand names is so huge that we have eight different directors that are have divided this up, and they're doing the actual assigning out names and making sure the databases are complete. Um, I, I did the directing for the very first state in Utah, but after that, we've just had people step forward for helping with uh, manage the projects. We've got people that are reviewing stories. We've got People that answer questions, doing um, stuff like uh, enhancing photos, um, helping with databases. So if if you don't feel like you're a writer, there's other ways that you can help. And we just think it's wonderful that there's so many people in America and even beyond America. We don't. We not only have people from all 50 states, but we have people from more than a dozen other countries that they're not Americans, but they're still participating in this project, which I think that tells something about what America did for the world in the 1940s. But I I would just like to thank everyone that's been volunteering so far. And I would love to have more volunteers step forward so that we can uh, really get to those 300 volunteers we really need to do all the stories for Arlington.
1: Well, thank you for your time. And uh, we'll get this posted and, and hopefully get more people to jump on board and and, and start volunteering.
0: Thank you.